Welcome to Episode 2 of the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Episode 2 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. We're recording this episode on Monday, March 18th, 2019. I'm Rob, your host, and I'm once again joined by my fellow caretaker of First Knowledge, Tom, who is also the co-host of the Hyperion Adventures podcast. Be sure to check them out as I'll be joining them on and off for the next several months to discuss all the Star Wars movies to date. Tom, welcome. Rob, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for allowing me back into the Jedi Temple's Archives podcast. Anytime, sir. Anytime. All right. So uh, first and foremost, uh, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you prefer to listen to podcasts on another service, please go ahead and shoot that off to us and we will get registered with them as well. We definitely want to make it easier to find for all of our fans out there. And also, we'd love to chat with you about any questions, show topics, or Star Wars talk that you want to engage in. Uh, We can be reached here at jtapodcast at gmail.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at jtapodcast. So I think we were going to go ahead and jump right into the topics today. Uh, The first thing I wanted to lead off with here was that when we're having these conversations and talking about uh, things within the Star Wars universe, it's important to kind of lay out to our listeners the difference between canon and legends. Prior to 2015, anything that came out Star Wars related was pretty much considered gospel. Uh, It was accepted as the true history of the Star Wars universe. However, uh, with the reboot of Star Wars and launching into the sequel trilogy, there was a need uh, that was foreseen by the folks at Disney and Lucasfilm to kind of do a bit of a reset. Um, They had taken some characters down paths that there was no way for them to come back from. And so what they did at that point was to make all of the information that had come out in the books and the comics to some extent and many of the video games that had come out related to Star Wars, uh, they turned that into legends. And essentially that would just be exactly what it sounds like. It is um, myths or things that are not accepted to be part of the true Star Wars history, but are stories that are kind of told maybe on some of the backwater worlds. So when we talk about things here on the podcast, we will definitely make sure that we put it out there if we're kind of headed down a road that is more along the Legends track. Uh, Otherwise, you can assume that what we're talking about is considered to be official Star Wars canon and it's the accepted history of the Star Wars universe. Right. I think uh, you'll remember from uh, Force Awakens, it was kind of interesting that uh, the very first film that Disney put out related to Star Wars that they even, you know, tabbed it a little bit when they were talking when uh, Ray is talking with Han Solo when they were first meeting and uh, you know talking about Luke Skywalker and everything I, I thought that was just a legend if you're kind of just tabbing back to that there's so many legends going on throughout the galaxy and that's kind of referencing what uh, the expanded universe eventually became into the legends it's true Tom all of it <laughs> So the other thing that we wanted to cover this week, um, especially in anticipation of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, that really is one of the primary uh, Star Wars news stories that is ongoing. And we wanted to dive a little bit more into the backstory of what is this planet Batu that Galaxy's Edge is located on? Uh, why is it called Galaxy's Edge? And the outpost of Black Spire Outpost. How did that come about? Where did it get its name? And what are the important tidbits surrounding that, uh, essentially, its own particular mythology? So what we're going to do here is we're going to kind of launch into some of the backstory of Batu and Black Spire Outpost. But in preparation for that, um, I thought maybe something that would help 
the average fan out there visualize this a little bit better, is to take the Star Wars galaxy uh, and compare that a little bit to our own solar system. And, uh, you know, we're all familiar with the worlds that have been brought up in Star Wars, Coruscant, Corellia, Alderaan, um, Jakku, Tatooine, uh, Naboo, places like that. But not many people really have a feel for where they're located in relation to each other, uh, really short of Tatooine and Luke's famous quote about if there's a bright center of the universe, you know, we're on the planet. Not exactly true, from, but so. it must, must have felt that way for sure for him. <laughs> Now, I think uh, yeah, one of the things we're going to run into here with that, too, is that that may, in fact, be a better planet to <laughs> apply that quote to. So uh, if you were to think about our solar system, obviously, the center of our solar system being the sun, uh, in the Star Wars galaxy, that core of the galaxy is referred to as the deep core. Um, there's really no worlds that uh, the casual Star Wars fan would be familiar with. But just outside of that deep core area, you have what are called the core worlds. And that is the area that uh, people are going to start getting some familiarity with the planets that exist in that uh, region. So this is kind of akin to where Mercury would lie in relation to the sun. It's going to be very close to that core. And uh, this includes the planets of Coruscant, uh, Corellia, Alderaan and Hosnian Prime. So I think Tom, you're probably familiar with Hosnian Prime. <laughs> familiar. I was going to say, can we pour one out for both Hosnian Prime and Alderaan? There, uh, both destroyed by super weapons at some point uh, through the Star Wars uh, timeline. Yeah, clearly a very dangerous place to be living. Um, so uh, just outside those core worlds, they have what are called the colonies, and that would include Cato Nemoidia. Um, most people aren't going to be familiar with that planet, but they would be very familiar with the Nemoidians themselves, who were featured pretty prominently in the prequel trilogy, uh, Newt Gunray and the, the Trade <laughs> Federation, and also Deveron. Uh, so, Tom, are you familiar with the Deveronians? Uh, only a little bit. I have a little bit of uh, history with them that I was uh, delving into a little bit of, uh, ago, but I was more on their space travel, not really on, actually on them as a people. Yeah, so the Deveronians, you probably, the most familiar Deveronian that people could picture would be in the Cantina scene in A New Hope. Um, it's the demon-looking creature with the horns. Uh, so that would be a Deveronian, and that's their home planet. So once you get outside the colonies, then we start getting into the regions that are pretty heavily populated with planets that we've seen quite a bit in the Star Wars films. Uh, you hit the interim first, uh, so that would be kind of the equivalent of, of an Earth uh, distance from the sun uh, in terms of the distance from the center of the Star Wars galaxy. And the primary planet that people are going to be familiar with there would be Jakku. Jakku is no way like Earth. I don't know what you're talking about. I've seen it. It's just a junk pile. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so are the ships on it, apparently. Yeah, right. Uh, next out, we have the expansion region. This would be a little bit further out in the galaxy in terms of the uh, distance from the center. There are really no planets here that anyone uh, familiar with the Star Wars films alone would be able to picture. But once we take the next step out uh, and get into the mid-rim region, that's where we run into some very familiar planets, including Jetta, mm -hmm. uh, Naboo, and Kashyyyk, which is Chewbacca's homeworld. Right, the Wookiee planet. Right. Again, we're uh, we're still in that area that super weapons are not looked upon very fondly. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, some uh, some key areas that were really desired by, the, of course, the the growing empire and uh, you know throughout as they were trying to build. I don't know if they were uh, just great bases to move from more the outer rim to within the core, the mid rim and the core, or what. But they're really uh, trying to strike a lot of these planets very. Uh, lengthily at the beginning of the building of the empire yep uh there were definitely a lot of resources on all mm -hmm. these planets that they were taking advantage of but you'll see here as we kind of get a little bit further out uh that tends to be a little bit less the case <laughs> so uh the next step out from the mid rim uh would be the outer rim and that's going to contain your planets like tatooine dagobah Endor. Uh, Mustafar, Scarif, Camino, Crate, and Kessel. Uh, and that's going to be kind of in that region of, say, a Saturn uh, mm -hmm. from the center of our universe, uh, center of our solar system. And the interesting thing here between the mid-rim and the outer rim regions is that kind of straddling those two areas uh, is what's called hut space. So that's going to be uh, Nalhada, your hut homeworld, mm. and Toydaria, who everyone has their favorite Toydarian, <laughs> um, thinking Watto pretty much in right. Phantom Menace. So, and apparently we're going to be seeing uh, at least one Toydarian within uh, the world of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. That's exciting. Let's see how they uh, work that in. 
Exactly. No, I don't think they're going to be allowing any slave trading, but uh, I think we're going to keep it pretty much <laughs> well, remember, above board. Mind tricks don't work on him. Exactly. <laughs> Only money. <laughs> Not weak-minded or just a, uh, <laughs> a specific trait of that particular... Of the uh, yeah. Yeah, of that Toydarian race. So, um, And then beyond the Outer Rim is going to be the area known as the Unknown Regions. And this is essentially an area that has been mapped, but it hasn't been deeply explored. Uh, that's going to be pretty much uh, the Outer Rim of the Galaxy. Neptune uh, would be the closest thing we could compare it to in our solar system. And the two... Two planets here that most of the Star Wars fans may have had some access to would be Octu, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, the planet where Luke had banished himself to on the island, and Ilum, which is a little bit more of a vague reference, but it's important in the Star Wars universe because that is where the Jedi would go to uh, gather the kyber crystals that were going to power their lightsabers. So, really the only other region uh, within the Star Wars galaxy is uh, known as uh, Wild Space. So this is areas that are so far out that they haven't been mapped, they haven't been explored, and uh, it's really completely unknown what exists out there. This is completely the wild, wild west of outer space. You have no idea what's going on on that there. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the thing to note here is that when we talk about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, we are talking about the very outermost area of the Outer Rim. So, again, like we were talking about earlier, Tatooine's got it good compared to a planet like uh, Batu, And it is really a sanctuary for people who are looking to escape the notice of the First Order and take part in any activities that you may expect to happen in, in that kind of a lawless area of space. Uh, you're talking smuggling. You're talking... Um, you know, obviously the, the members of the resistance, uh, it's a, a great place for them to go hide, uh, yeah, just, post battle of great, just get off the grid a little bit, uh, you know, and it's not the usual traveled route. So it's a, it's a good space to kind of hide out until things are clear and uh, then you can make your run for it. Yep. So for the purposes of this discussion, the setting for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is uh, this is going to be taking place sometime after the events of The Last Jedi. So to the point we just made, uh, this is the planet that the Resistance is going to escape to after that Battle of Crate to kind of rest, recoup, and build up support before they take the fight back to the First Order. And that's obviously why the Millennium Falcon would be there, as we know from uh, The Last Jedi, uh, one of the last, the last scenes we see of it is that they're flying away from a crate on the uh, on the Millennium Falcon with what's left of the, the resistance essentially uh, just a ragtag group yeah and the backstory there uh, is supposed to be that Chewbacca has made an agreement with Honda Onaka uh, for use of the Millennium Falcon for his freight business i.e smuggling mm -hmm. uh and that is how the millennium falcon uh, ultimately gets staged there mm -hmm. on uh, batu of black spire outpost there you go interesting yep so uh, one of the things that you will find out as you dig a little bit into star wars galaxy's edge is the attractions uh include some uh visits from some of your fan uh, some of the fan favorites from the sequel trilogy so you're going to run across ray finn and poe at various points on those attractions mm -hmm. uh and therefore you know it, it fits really well in that in that window between the end of the last jedi and the beginning of episode nine whatever the title of that may be <laughs> i i think you have a feeling about when we may find I'm, that out i'm pretty sure it's going to be about a month from now or actually it's almost like three weeks from now when we get to uh, star wars celebration uh, it's almost been confirmed that that would be it it hasn't been completely confirmed but uh, pretty much everything looks leading that way and i believe we'll cover that a little bit later in the show yeah, I think we'd all be shocked if they didn't uh, include that as part of Star Wars Celebration 2019. Mm -hmm. So what is the planet of Batuu like? Uh, obviously, it's going to be existing in both Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort. So they have to make it a planet with an Earth-like Earth atmosphere. Uh, it's going to be a temperate planet. It's going to have a lot of forests and mountains. And... In terms of uh, what a lot of people are talking about as the rock spires, those are actually uh, towering petrified trees that have kind of uh, worn down over time, and those are the quote-unquote spires that you're seeing in the land. Mm -hmm. I know that we've had quite a bit of discussion about this offline, but... Prior to the discovery of hyperspace travel, uh, Batu is a prominent trading planet and a busy crossroads for people traveling to and from the unknown regions. Mm -hmm. So now that the travel is done more along hyperspace routes, uh, those tend to bypass the planet, thus allowing it to kind of become an out-of-the-way place for the smugglers, adventurers, 
basically anyone hoping to avoid the First Order. The interesting thing about that is, you know, I was thinking that it seems a little bit strange that pre-light speed travel, that anyone would be doing a lot of interstellar travel. Um, <laughs> it looks like that would be a pretty lengthy process, and I don't know if it's necessarily fit for trading, uh, but it sounds like you had dug up a little bit of information. Um yeah. Considered maybe legends, but still possibly applicable. Exactly. So after our discussion from earlier in the day about it, and it totally made sense, it, you know, it'd be so difficult to get from these systems when they are literally light years away from one another. So it would, even at, at less than light speed, it would take you years to get to there. So I decided to go back and just kind of look a little bit to see if I could find something about uh, pre-light speed travel within the Jedi archive. So I delved into the legend section and uh, this is what I came up with. And I, so here is kind of a history of interstellar travel within the Star, uh, Star Wars universe. So uh, the first interstellar travels were actually done by uh, sleeper ships, which uh, basically they would use to colonize various systems. And those were mainly done by humans. That's why you'll find so many humans uh, throughout the Star Wars universe on various planets. Uh, that was because they would go in these uh, ships, basically put them into sleep mode, you know, and yes, it would take years to travel, but they'd awake and get to these planets and, and then they would colonize them. So uh, the first recorded faster, quote, faster than light interstellar uh, travelers were a race that was called the Qua. And again, these are all legends. So just uh, take the note in that. Uh, they used a network of what are called infinity gates that were powered by the force, uh, but they were very unstable. And sometimes then when that un instability would cause some great damage to some of the places around them. Uh, in about the same time, another race called the Gree built another uh, network uh, that was similar. They would call them hyper gates. Uh, and this was different in that it didn't use the force. They used complicated and precise navigational computers uh, to allow them to travel uh, between those gates and uh you know they, they kind of uh got along with each other not really in the best mode but they kind of left each other alone let them do their, their other their things on their own however uh not long after that there was a rise of a race that was called the ricotta um, and they were a race of very evil people that used dark side energy to power their technology. Uh, so they kind of uh, reverse engineered what the Qua and the Gree did, and they created what was the precursor to what uh, we know now as the Star Wars hyperdrive. And they used this and this technology to build this very vast and very evil empire, what they called the Infinite Empire. Uh, and they eventually contained the Qua and the Gree to their own homes and their gates fell into disrepair and so uh sort of hyperspace travel was done through what uh the ricotta had done however you know they, their empire lasted for a while but then suddenly for some reason they just lost the ability to use the force and since their technology was powered by the dark side of the force well their empire really fell into ruins pretty quickly um, so then it was after that, that uh, after their collapse, that uh, a couple of races, we brought up one just a little bit ago, you did, Rob, uh, the, the Veronians and the Gorons reverse engineered that technology and they created what was called the Tumble Hyper Drive. Uh, this was... Uh, it was a very unstable and unsafe, unsafe uh, system. Uh, they, they, what I read here was the closest comparable technology would be a modern hyperdrive with a Navic computer that's constantly ram randomizing coordinates. So you don't really know where you're going to end up. It was very unreliable. You think you're going to go here and you're somewhere out in Jeddah or something. Who knows, you know? Um, meanwhile, the humans developed something interesting, which is totally human-like. This is very funny to me. They built these massive space structures called hyperspace cannons that would launch ships into hyperspace with massive amounts of power. So basically they lined up spaceships as human cannonballs and uh, shot them through hyperspace. And then they would eventually be uh, slowed down by using what was called hyperspace drag to return to normal space. Uh, and this usually ended up being, as you can imagine, a one-way trip. It's like, okay, shoot me towards uh, Octu. That's where I'm going. Shoot me towards Batu. That's where I'm going. You would end up there and uh you know that would be about as far as you can go uh the uh eventually uh the uh Corellians ended up working on a hyperdrive that really ended up becoming the uh the, the hyperdrive kind of that we know today, they took it out of a, a, a group called the Tians, uh, built the Tianese hyperdrive, and then the Corellians uh, improved on that. And that basically turned into the hyperdrive that we now know today.
It sounds like it's the most uh, reliable of the bunch. Yeah, well, so far so good, as long as you got a good Navi computer. Yeah, the uh, hyperdrive with the random coordinate generation, <laughs> that sounds a lot like flying in spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree with that at all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, so uh, that gives us a little bit of an idea of uh, what Batu is and where that's located. Uh, there are a couple additional interesting facts about Batu that are probably things that aren't going to be familiar to people uh, who've only seen the films. And that would be, first and foremost, it's notable for the fact that during the waning years of the Clone Wars, uh, Senator Padme Amidala, mm-hmm. you know, the mother to Luke and Leia, went missing on the planet and Anakin Skywalker traveled there to find her. Nice. And uh, he actually was aided by another character we're not going to get into right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that particular character deserves, deserves their entire own show. Uh, and there's enough information there to make one out of it. So we're going to hold off. Um, Suffice to say, his name is uh, Thrawn, and you will hear more about him. Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. He's an incredible uh, character. He's kind of, as I was describing him to Tom earlier, um, we're both familiar with him from some of the legend stories. But for those of you who are not familiar with him, he is kind of uh, Sun Tzu, who was the writer of the treaty uh, about the art of war, uh, rolled in together with uh, Sherlock Holmes and combined with the the ultimate tactical mind of his time. Yeah, yeah. He, he came up with some great tactics and uh, was very impressive in the legends. And it was great to see him uh, brought back into canon during uh, Star Wars Rebels, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, also notable uh, for, about Batu is the fact that later during the reign of Emperor Palpatine and his Galactic Empire, he had sensed a disturbance in the Force centered on Batu and sent Darth Vader uh, to investigate that again with Thrawn. Uh, but we will, again, save those stories for a later time. We're going to delve a lot more into Thrawn and his backstory uh, and how he has kind of influenced the entire Star Wars universe at a later time. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that as well. That's uh, yep. some good stuff coming up in future episodes for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of information there to to dig into, and he's an incredibly interesting character. Mm-hmm. All right, so going uh, actually into the the outpost itself, uh, Black Spire Outpost, or is it's known uh, to many of the locals uh, by Black Spire. It is named for a glistening black onyx-looking spire in the center of town, and it looks just like the other uh, petrified tree spires that uh, adorn the rest of the planet, but most of those have more of a granite look Mm. uh, with what looks like kind of rusted iron layers throughout them, and this is the only one known that is this just pitch black, you know, again, kind of glassy-looking spire. And the presence of that spire is what actually drew ancient beings to settle there in the first place. It's why it's still settled to this day. And that spire is the source of numerous stories about what its origin may have been. Uh, it's kind of woven into the the roots of the community itself. Everyone seems to have a story about why it is there and what it is, uh, but no one really knows the truth of it. It's kind of similar to what you would think of when you think of Stonehenge here on mm. Earth. Yeah, that does make sense, yeah, because no one really, there's lots of somewhat explanations what Stonehenge is, but no one really knows what why they built it, why the Druids or whoever built it back in the day. And so uh, Black Spire, look forward to checking that out and looking for it once we get out there to Batu to Black Spire Outpost for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's also, again, rumored that Padme Amidala, when she did visit Batu, she actually had come into Ogus Cantina, which is the you know main watering hole in Black Spire Outpost during her visit there and actually had ordered something there. I think it'll be interesting to find out what that is. I'm, and, I'm going with Yubnub. Uh, I'm sure she ordered yeah. a Yubnub. Maybe a fuzzy Tauntaun. I'm not sure. Something with an umbrella. <laughs> yeah. A uh, Bespin Fizz? Maybe? I don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, also, the First Order has just recently established established a garrison in Black Spire Outpost, and they're in search of something. No one really knows what that is. Uh, but the unit that was sent there is a Stormtrooper unit, uh, which is known as the 709th, mm. and also known by the moniker the Red Fury. And they arrived on... On Batu in Black Spire Outpost uh, via a ship called the TIE Echelon, which is the new TIE fighter um, kind of hybrid. Um, it's styled to be, yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, 
it's going to kind of be a, an amalgamation between two ships that most Star Wars fans are going to be familiar with. Um, it's got the curved solar panels that you would be familiar with uh, in thinking of Darth Vader's TIE Advanced X-1 from A New Hope uh, during that trench run scene. And then the cockpit in the main uh, portion of the ship is very similar to the, the body of Kylo Ren's shuttle from The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So it, it looks like a TIE fighter, but it also has the capacity to, to carry, it looks like, a decent amount of troops in it as well. Mm. So the, uh, just a word of warning to anyone visiting Black Spire Outpost, uh, the Red Fury jealously guard their ship. They do not like uh, passerby touching it. Uh, so just <laughs> so whatever sure you do, don't careful. touch it. Whatever you do, don't touch it. What, don't, don't do it. I know you're thinking about it. Don't do it. We all know that Disney is famous for the fact that they love to put do not touch on things. And <laughs> the intent, obviously, is to get people to reach out and touch it. Uh, so what? We'll Reverse see. psychology. What are you talking yeah, about? It never works. It never works. <laughs> all right. So uh, prior to the arrival of the First Order, the Resistance, uh, as I mentioned earlier, had set up a base on Black Spire Outpost uh, that had to be quickly relocated to a more remote location. Uh, and that location is referred to as the Surabat River Valley. So that area has got some uh, rock faces with living spaces carved into it, and the, re the resistance has taken up residence uh, in those as part of the base that they've installed there. But given their weakened state, um, they are pretty much on pins and needles and are prepared to flee at any time should the First Order discover their presence on Batu. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Uh, when we saw them last, uh, there was only a handful of them left. Uh, we don't know what's going to come in Episode Nine, but they're in uh, bad shape unless we saw them for sure. Agreed. Tom, did you have any other uh, information on either Batu or Black Spire Outpost that you wanted to toss in there with that? Um, not really. I mean, I've got some stuff that's, uh, I don't know if we want to include this in our stories, uh, but, uh, I don't really have much more than what I'm just excited to see out there. I just think that this is all laid out well. I love the backstory of it, even if there may be a couple loopholes in it that you pointed out a little earlier. Um, but, uh, I, I really think think it you know the history behind it how they're going to find little nuanced things throughout it uh, you're going to hear the story i would imagine you're going to hear the story of uh, what senator amidala ordered somewhere when you go into Ogus cantina or you know maybe she has a signed photograph up there it's like one of those you know <laughs> picture of her she stopped in i love this place thanks it's the Hollywood Brown Derby. Right, of exactly. <laughs> so I'm just ex I'm excited to experience it all. I don't care. I mean, I want to experience the attractions, but just the experience, the land itself, I, I think is fantastic. And I love that they have these little things like the black spire in the center that really drew uh, the various races there to begin with and made it a stop along the routes that they went on. Uh, all that little simple stuff like that, it, I think is just fantastic. Yeah, and it's very much in the vein of, of what Star Wars has always been. Um, George Lucas when he originally created Star Wars, uh, you know, by the time he was done filming uh, the original Star Wars film, later to be retitled A New Hope, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was so much about world building at that point. And by the time he got the chance to make The Empire Strikes Back, his excitement was really about, you know, I've created this world. We now know what it is. Now I want to get out there and play in it. I want to, I want to see what it can become um, and start telling some of the stories that, you know, are obviously going to be part of that, that new world that he created. And really, that is what is happening here. It's We don't have a ton of backstory on Batu or Black Spire Outpost. Um, it's got a ton of potential. There's a lot of places they can go with it. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how that evolves and, and how much of that evolution is based on the interaction of the guests with that particular land. And I love that they they've, they've just created this world that is obviously thousands of years old. I mean, if you think if you if you've traveled around the world, I mean, you stay in the US and things are a couple hundred years old for the most part, you know, the oldest stuff. Uh, you go into Europe and things are more along the lines of a thousand or more. Sometimes you'll find things that old around there. If you go into Asia, you'll find things that are thousands of years old. Uh, if, if you go back to some of the stuff I was just talking about, about uh, pre-light speed travel, interstellar travel, these were tens of thousands of years old. And so the, if it, Batu was a place before light speed travel, we're talking history dating back to 
tens of thousands of years. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays into the building of this land. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be an adventure just to find out all the details of what this land encompasses. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's pretty much it for our primary topic. Um, we will swing into Star Wars news, uh, dip into the Holonet, and bring up some of the stories that have come up over the course of the past week. Uh, Tom, I know that you had covered the first story that we've got here regarding Star Wars Celebration, mm-hmm. um, and that was something that we had talked about earlier in the week. So really what this is about is Star Wars Celebration uh, 2019, which is taking place in Chicago, uh, is coming up on the, I believe it's the 11th to the 15th? Yeah, that's right. Of April. And uh, really most of the tickets for that event have been sold out for quite some time, uh, excepting I believe they sell some Monday tickets left. But uh, one of the things that has been done this year, which is a little bit groundbreaking uh, for Star Wars Celebration, is that they have partnered with a company called Light uh, to become a portal where guests who are looking for tickets to the event can meet up with people who, for whatever reason, aren't going to be able to attend, who need to sell their tickets. And unlike a, you know, Ticketmaster or trying to scalp tickets, they're taking away the uncertainty. You know if you go through this portal, and it can be found right on the uh, Star Wars Celebration main page. I've also put a link to it on the Facebook page for this podcast, uh, JTA Podcast on Facebook. They are basically creating a portal that's going to facilitate getting those buyers and sellers together so that if you're a buyer, you know that you're getting 100% authentic uh, tickets for Star Wars Celebration, and the sellers uh, are going to get their ticket price back. Uh, The only additional charge that's being put on here is a small service charge just for light facilitating that transaction. Uh, So it really is the perfect marriage um, of of getting these buyers and sellers together so that, you know, they they can find people who want to go and the people who can't have a way to get rid of their tickets uh, legally and above board. Right. It's not scalping. You know, so you're not trying to go into a back alley and make sure no one's watching and pulling money out of your wallet and hoping that the tickets that are actually real and will actually get you into the into the uh, Star Wars Celebration 2019. Uh, so you know that is the best way to do it, and I'm glad that they've uh, given people this access because there are some people who plan these things out, and for whatever reason they can't make it, or they can't make it to all the days, or you know, maybe some family members were going to go with them, now they're not. Uh, whatever the case may be, all, things come up all the time, but there are still people that would desire those tickets. So rather than have them go unused, or the people who bought them not be able to get their money back for them. I love that they've added this to the website to make it easily accessible and verifiable as well. Yeah. And I mean, having looked at some of the tickets that were out there on uh, some of the other ticket sales websites, the amount that we're being charged for service fees really kind of made it impractical for anyone uh, to to be able to get those and, and be able to go for more than a day or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully this will ensure that they get the turnout that they're looking for and that there are a lot less tickets to either go unused or, uh, you know, people are having to take a risk at buying something that's not 100% authentic. Right. And bottom line is that this is a fan event. They will tell you if you go on the website, I, I applied for a media credential. Unfortunately, we just applied too late. Uh, we just didn't quite make it this time. Hopefully in a couple of years from now, we'll get it. But it said right on there that, look, this is a fan event. Even as media, you're not going to get uh, special privileges within the lines. You're not going to get to enter into events specially. You're going to have to wait just like everybody else because they wanted to know that the, everybody to know that the fans came first at this event. Terrific. So uh, the, we have a couple other news stories related to Star Wars Celebration as well. The first is that um, this past week they have announced two additional panels that they're going to be including at this year's event. Uh, the first is an Episode Nine panel. Um, so far, I believe the only people that they've announced for that are Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, I know that your opinion of this is that they're most likely going to have some other guests on that panel. I have no doubt. I, I know for one thing that Oscar Isaac, who plays, of course, Poe Dameron, uh, will be there for a different panel uh so it's likely that he will for sure be there but i i this this will be the big episode nine debut for everything i'm convinced uh so i i would expect that uh daisy ridley will be there uh john boyega will be there a lot of the stars uh that are taking part in episode nine will be uh playing a part there and it was a it was the same thing was for the last jedi at uh, star wars celebration 2017 that was a big they released the trailer then uh, they had a lot of the stars there they even had a tribute to carrie fisher at that uh uh it was it was really 
really a great thing. And uh, I, I expect this to be very similar in many regards. Yeah, uh, I think that's a very reasonable expectation. Uh, the, the other panel that they announced this week is a panel specific to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So that fits in right mm-hmm. with our discussion. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, I think we're going to expect that there's definitely going to be some new information released during that panel. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what that is. And it will also be interesting to kind of get some of the backstory. Uh, I would expect that they're going to have some of the Imagineers that worked on the land as part of that panel and to find out what additional details come out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, again, you're right. I'm sure they'll break down some more little exciting, fun things, uh, facts. Uh, They always have great videos of what things were built, tours through different areas. And since by that time, uh, we were going to be about a month and a half from uh, Galaxy's Edge opening up at the Disneyland Resort, I think that they'll have really good information there. And that may be even where they release finally uh, how we're making i would i would hope that they're going to do a little before that but that might be when we get how you're going to make reservations other such things for some of these areas and what they uh hope for in the future for uh both resorts both the walt disney world resort and the disneyland resort yeah and uh, that's going to be part of our conversation once we get through news here we're going to uh put together some travel tips for people who are looking to book uh to go see star wars galaxy's edge either out in the disneyland resort or walt disney world resort mm-hmm. uh kind of leverage some of our knowledge of both of those locations to give people, you know, the the biggest advantage they can in trying to get those reservations made. But I think you're right that uh, that Galaxy's Edge panel hopefully is going to come out with some of the details about uh, both how those reservations are made currently out at Disneyland Resort and what their plan is for crowd management um, and making sure that they can meet guest guest expectations uh, when the land opens at Walt Disney World as well. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if all if we get some of that. And uh, I, I do think that there will be peaks at uh, many of the different shops. Because, uh, again, I think this is going to be pretty close to being built out, uh, at least at the Disneyland Resort by that time. So I think that we're going to get a lot more video from within the land itself and kind of get an idea of what it's going to even more look like than uh, some of the shots we've already seen and, of course, the concept art that we've seen. Yeah, I, I think we're all waiting to see uh, it a little bit closer to the finished product where they've got it pretty much ready for the guests to walk on site. Yep, exactly. Very exciting. Uh, also, at Sol- uh, Star Wars Celebration, they did release a list of some new guests that will be attending this year's event. Uh, some of the names that people may be familiar with are Forrest Whitaker, mm-hmm. who played Saw Gerrera in uh, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and Katie Sackoff, who played uh, Bo-Katan Cries. She was really more from uh, the Star Wars Rebels mm-hmm. uh, series, so maybe not someone who everyone is going to be familiar with, but... We have uh, Hugh Quarshi as well, who played Captain Panaka in The Phantom Menace. And uh, they also have a trio of uh, technical folks that worked with a number of the droids uh, mm. throughout the film. So uh, they are Lee Towersy, who brought R2-D2 to life for the sequel trilogy. Mm. They have uh, Josh Lee, who uh, mechanized K2SO for Rogue One and was also the building supervisor and chief engineer on BB-8 for the sequel trilogy. I know that we both love K2SO. Oh, very uh, much. I'm sure Michelle knows all about him. Oh, yeah. She's excited to do an episode based on K2SO at some point with <laughs> I, you, by the I, way. Yeah, I, I know we're going to get into that and, and some of the additional droids. I mm-hmm. get questions all the time about what are the mouse droids. <laughs> uh, so we will get into a lot of information about the droids in one of these upcoming episodes. Uh, also part of that trio is Matt Denton, who is an electronic design and development supervisor for uh, Rogue One and Star Wars The Force Awakens. And the final guest that they released this week is Bobby Moynihan, who Tom certainly would be familiar mm-hmm. with uh, from Star Wars Resistance. He plays a character named Orca, uh, essentially a, an alien character mm-hmm. who, along with his partner, make up the duo that run the Office of Acquisitions there on the Colossus. So um, maybe not something that everyone is going to be familiar with, but those of you who watch Resistance, uh, this is going to be a great chance to meet and greet Bobby Moynihan. Uh, definitely a great personality. Yeah, he's a funny guy, and he plays a very interesting character both him uh and flicks who's uh, uh voiced by jim rash who you may know if you've ever watched like community or something uh, he was he's he's another very funny actor and uh they're great on that show in a, a bit role that they have on it but uh, and by the way we just hit this the season one finale uh just this uh last just yesterday as a matter of fact just this last sunday and uh it was great uh, again I, I brought it up last week i'm going to bring it up again if you aren't watching star wars 
Force Resistance, if you watched it for a little bit and got off of it, go find it. You can find it on Disney Now, the app. You can find it on demand. It's It really has gotten, it really got really good as the season progressed. They put all the pieces in place. They got through the character development and it moved much more quickly, in my opinion. And I know my wife, Michelle, agrees with me on this, that it moved much more quickly than even Star Wars Rebels did to uh, developing these characters and really becoming uh, a, kind of an important storyline. Yeah, and they've been, again, they've been doing a great job with the animated series and really tying those into uh, the films and kind of giving you a little bit of additional backstory into events that maybe you've seen in some of the films. I know that um, Starkiller Base from The Force Awakens mm-hmm. uh, ties in pretty nicely with, with Star Wars Resistance Season 1. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would definitely recommend that anyone who has an interest in knowing a little bit more about the backstory of what's going on there, check that out. Yeah, because it's running almost in the same timeline, very near what uh, where we were in The Force Awakens. So just to kind of give you uh, where within the Star Wars timeline this story ran. Uh, so there's a lot of things that tie into one another there and gives you a little backstory on some of the things that maybe you didn't know about, uh, like Starkiller Base and the First Order and the Resistance and such. So it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, that's great to know. I'm actually a little bit behind on Resistance myself, uh, but I'm looking forward to getting caught up on that here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's really good. I highly suggest it. By the way, I wanted to mention one thing about Star Wars Celebration 2019, and I'm assuming they're going to do this because they did this for Star Wars Celebration 2017, and that is that they live-streamed a lot of the panels that took place, a lot of the big panels that took place throughout it. So um, I... I whittled away many hours at work watching Star Wars Celebration 2017. I'm sure I'm going to do it if they have that uh, same capability for 2019. And and that even included like when they trailer dropped for The Last Jedi. And I would assume that it would be this very similar to if, if and when the trailer drops for Episode 9 as well. So just be prepared for that. I'm sure you can find it on the Star Wars Celebration website. Uh, it, it'll probably be out there. And they'll probably be making an announcement that they will be doing that uh, very soon, I would imagine. Yeah, terrific. All right, so um, that'll pretty much wrap it up for news for us today. So what we want to move on to now is uh, some of our our tips for planning your trip to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, if you're interested in doing that. Uh, again, we know that there's a lot of Star Wars fans who may be less familiar with the Disney parks. Either you have not gone at all, or you haven't gone in quite some time. And this is going to be an event where I think knowledge is going to be very important in making sure that you are able to get the access that you're hoping for. Mm-hmm. So really, uh, Tom and I will both give our, our insights into this, but it's it's going to be, a, you know, when should you go? Uh, how soon should you book? Where are you going to stay? Uh, and then any other uh, tips that we may have that may give you an advantage when it comes time to uh, get your spot in line to get into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and hopefully experience you know, that entire immersive environment. So let's just go ahead and start off right from the top. You know, uh, Tom, for someone looking to visit out at Disneyland Park, when would you recommend that they look toward going? Uh, best thing you can do is go where, when the, the school year is on midweek early in the day. Uh, that's the best time to go because uh, the, the thing about the Disneyland Park and Disneyland Resort is it's driven by annual pass holders. And since it's driven by annual pass holders, a lot of people will can go to the parks uh, you know, obviously on weekends, as long as their passes are available, but also they'll, they'll just drop by, they'll get out of school, they'll get out of work and they'll just drop by for an evening because they've already got these annual passes. So it's not costing them anything extra to go there. And we're talking about millions and millions of people within the Southern California region that can get there within a two hour drive. So uh, take advantage of when the school year is going on and uh, take advantage of uh, early in the day, if possible, midweek. Those are the best times to go. Also, pay attention to annual passes and when they're blackout dates. It's one new thing that Disneyland is doing this year is that for some of the lower annual passes, uh, not only are there going to be blackout dates just in general that you can't go to either parks, but there are also going to be blackout dates where some passes are only available to be used in certain parks. So let's just say if you have the, the Southern California Select or whatever, one day you may not be able to uh, attend the Disneyland Park. You can only go to the Disney California Adventure Park. Another day could be the other way around. So pay attention to those things and it might give you an idea of when the crowds might be a little bit lighter again this is all going to be something we're going to kind of study up on as we progress through this and learn more about galaxy's edge but i think that kind of is a good rule of thumb to kind of get you started 
Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, we're speaking from past experience. We're both well aware of the fact that this is kind of an unprecedented mm-hmm. opening uh, for anything within a Disney park. Uh, it's going to it's going to blow the world of you know, Avatar, the world of Pandora oh, yeah. out of the water. Um, and so really, these are just our our best guesses for what we'd recommend people. Um, Tom, I know that you kind of uh, weren't approaching it from this aspect because as you pointed out, Disneyland resort is really more a locals park. Uh, But I think with them opening up prior to Walt Disney world resort, uh, there are going to be some people who travel from out of town to go there. And the only thing I would add there is that um, those folks are going to end up in the same situation as a lot of the guests that are looking at going to Walt Disney world resort to experience galaxy's edge, which is, you need to kind of give some thought to what your expectations are. If you don't want to experience the land until all the attractions are open, Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have that, uh, you know, set in stone date where the phase two opening is going to occur with Rise of the Resistance. So you may want to plan for quite a bit later in the year uh, for Walt Disney World Resort and, you know, at least into the fall at Disneyland Resort uh, to give them some time to get that attraction up and online. And obviously we will be reporting here as we hear about when that phase two uh, date has been set and we will make sure you have that information to move forward with some concrete plans. But for now, uh, just make sure you set your expectations. If you're, if you're not interested in going until everything's open, if you're not going to be able to go uh, more than once every few years, then, you know, you're going to want to experience the full thing. If you're a regular Disneyland Resort guest, you live close and you're going to be able to go multiple times, then maybe that's less of a consideration. Yeah, it's a consideration of what you care about more. Do you want to be there early on to experience it, be one of the first to experience it? And yes, you may not get to ride one of the attractions until another visit and whenever you could make it out again, another year, whatever it may be. Uh, but you still want to experience it. You certainly can do that. But be prepared for the, the situation and, and know that, okay, it's not going to be the full Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that you might be able to uh, enjoy later on, uh, several months later, and I would imagine the fall. It possibly is. I wouldn't shock me if something happened around the D23 Expo that that the Rise of the Resistance date might be uh, opening up around that time. Uh, Matter of fact, I've speculated that there might be something along with the Parks panel, that there's some sort of after you've gone to the Parks panel, maybe there's a Fast Pass. Purely speculation, but just for know what they've done from some of the D23 Expos in the past, it wouldn't shock me if something like that came along totally agree um the next the next question that i brought up was you know when when should you look to book and i don't think that there's a whole lot of difference between the answer for disneyland resort mm-hmm. or walt disney world resort here obviously the quicker you book the better mm-hmm. off you're going to be uh, as we said figure out when you want to go but i would recommend if you haven't already put in a reservation you should do so uh, sooner rather than later and in regards to where you should make that reservation that's a question that's going to be different for everyone based on your budget you know if the only way you're going to be able to go is to stay off site um, at one of the good neighbor hotels if you're going to disneyland resort uh, walt disney world doesn't necessarily have what they consider good neighbor resorts there's a few over by Disney Springs, Mm -hmm. but um, really any of the resorts off property, if that's the only way you can go, then by all means, you know, do what you have to do to, to attend. But if you have the option, I would definitely recommend that you book an on-site Disney Resort Hotel. Um, As we've seen with the information that was put out for Disneyland Resort, that is going to give you the best chance to get that um, guaranteed spot, that guaranteed two-hour window uh, up until June 23rd, at least, as as the story goes now. But um, I would expect that even when those booking windows for the two hours uh, within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, whether they extend those or whether they go with another plan, there is definitely going to be preference giving to guests staying on-site as opposed to those staying off-site. I would, be, I would guess so, especially the Disneyland Resort, uh, because there are only uh, three uh, actual Disneyland-owned hotels, Disney-owned hotels, resorts there. Uh, So those do tend to get a preference over anything else out there. You won't get any extra perks out of the Good Neighbor. There are plenty of great Good Neighbor hotels that you can stay at. There are also some that aren't so great. So, you know, do your homework on it. Uh, But there are really great ones in the area. Uh, that will get you there. You'll be nearby. You can walk. Some are just a little transportation away, uh, but it's really easy to get there. But yes, uh, some if you really want to be there, if you want to be sure you get in, there's a good bet that uh, staying on a Disney Resort property uh, will get you a 
better chance at that. Yeah, and I'm in agreement. Uh, you know, obviously there are so many more even on-property resorts at Walt Disney World that I don't think that they can necessarily guarantee every on-site resort guest a a two-hour window like they can at Disneyland. But as you brought up in the last episode, uh, what you do get as an on-site guest at Walt Disney World Resort is you get the ability to book your Fast Passes Mm -hmm. in 60 days out as opposed to 30, which is almost going to be a requirement in order to get access to these uh, attractions once they do start uh, distributing Fast Pass reservations for those. Um, And it is entirely likely that there are going to be other benefits within the land for being an on-site resort guest uh, at a Disney Walt Disney World Resort uh, down there in Orlando, Florida. The other benefit at Walt Disney World Resort is that on-site guests do get access to extra magic hours. Mm -hmm. Those are park hours that are only available to on-site guests. And it has already been stated that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge will be included in those extra magic hours. So um, it may not guarantee that you have a relaxing uh, (laughs) visit to the land, but it's certainly going to be less crowded uh, than it would be during the the heart of the day when you've got on-site and off-site guests within the park. And one of the great things about if you want, if you're even thinking about going somewhere in the future and you want to go ahead and just book that resort, um, if if you book at a price and you're like not crazy about it, and a lot of times the prices will change. Now it's going to be this is going to be a brand new animal with uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge out there. Where it's going to be interesting to see how the vacancies are taken up, uh, what the occupancy rate is, and what that does to the price of the resorts. But if you ever do notice that your resort price changes, it's really easy to change it and go down. You don't have to. You're not locked into whatever price you uh, you sign up for at first. You can always book, rebook at a, the different price level if it should drop in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing um, that I want to put out there, uh, my wife actually suggested this because uh, it's something that not everyone visiting Disney uh, understands right off the bat. But if you are not comfortable or confident in booking the trip yourself, please take advantage of an authorized Mm -hmm. Disney travel Mm -hmm. agent. Uh, We are not travel agents, but uh, there are certainly times when going with a travel agent is going to give you the best guarantee that you're getting what what you're looking for. And it should be noted right off the top that any authorized Disney travel agent, you are not paying them to book this trip for you. They get paid by Disney. Uh, so do not hesitate to to go through them. It's not going to cost you any more than if you booked it your own, uh, on your own. Right, and they know the ins and the outs uh, as well. <clears throat> Excuse me, if not better than most people out there. So. Uh, definitely take advantage of that when you get the opportunity. All right. So I think that's going to wrap it for us for this week. Uh, Tom, thank you once again for joining me and uh, kind of delving into the world of Batu and, and Black Spire Outpost. Uh, next week's episode, I think we're going to start walking a little bit into some of the, the stories behind the characters within the land. Uh, who is Hondo Onaka? Mm-hmm. You know, who is Doc Ondar? And uh, what what is their tie-in with the stories that are being told within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and uh, we should have some additional uh, news from the Holonet and we're looking forward to talking about that with you as well. Rob, thanks for having me again. It's been another great time here in the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I really enjoy joining you to talk uh, Star Wars and especially Star Wars Galaxy's Edge because every time we come on, we're a week closer to it opening up. So this is exciting stuff. And, you know, there will come a time where we've exhausted all the information that we've got for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and we can start uh, digging into some of the other topics within the Star Wars universe. Um, we're definitely always looking for ideas for future shows. What are what are our listeners interested in learning about? Uh, so please, again, feel free to reach out to us uh, via email at jtapodcast at gmail.com or on social media uh, via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest at jtapodcast. Uh, again, thank you guys for joining us this week. We look forward to seeing you next week, and may the force be with you.